0: We are going through a series here uh, called the Meta-Narrative, working through the narrative of Scripture, creation, fall, redemption, and consummation, the scope of what God is doing in the world. We've spent a couple of weeks talking about creation, what creation means for the creator and what creation means for the creature, and this week we're getting into what it means when the fall happens, what has gone wrong in our world. I'll read a text here. We're in Genesis chapter 3. We're three weeks in, and we've gotten through three chapters, so we're doing pretty good. Just a few thousand more to go. Uh, Genesis, thanks. That was, a, that was kind of a lame joke, but thanks for laughing. Genesis 3, uh, verse 1 through... Um, we'll read for a ways. Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman... whom you gave to be with me. She gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Let's pray one more time. God, we ask just for your Holy Spirit, we ask you, Holy Spirit, to be here, illumining to us, the truths of your inspired word this morning. Help us to see you clearly. Help us to know ourselves rightly. Help us to understand what has happened in this world and the conditions that have made the world the broken place that it is so that ultimately we may see the joy that we have in our Savior Jesus Christ. Move in this place, we ask this morning in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. So as I said we 've spent a couple of weeks talking about creation, and the first week, just a quick recap was what creation says about the Creator. and we said that the Creator, as Creator, is both transcending and descending. God as the creator of all creation is a transcending God. He's over it all. He is objective. He is outside of it all. He is bigger than it all. He is a transcending God. And because God is a transcending God, that means that God has autonomy. He is independent. He does what he wants to do. And he also has authority because he made it. He gets to say how it should go. He gets to say what should happen with it. He has autonomy and authority. He is a transcending God. But not only that, God is a transcending God. God is a descending God. And though He is above us all and bigger than us all, He also has descended, made Himself known to us all. He is a personal God. And the way that He has done this, is through a common grace or common revelation where we see in nature things like beauty, we understand love, we understand truth, things like that. God has revealed himself so that everyone, like Romans 1 says, looks in nature and knows there is a God, whether they want to deny it or not. General revelation is what that's called. He also has descended and showed himself to us in special revelation. Chosen men inspired by God recorded down to us God's very words, so that we would sit here all this morning and have special revelation about who God is. He's a God who's transcending and descending, ultimately descending for us in Jesus Christ. That's a quick recap of week one. Week two is what, God, what creation says to us about the creature. God is autonomous. The creature, though, is dependent. Everything we have, we depend upon God for. If God were not here holding everything together, we would not be here. God is, we, as the creatures, are dependent. We also are distinct, though, as human beings. We are imago Dei, is the Latin term for we are made in the image of God. Imago Dei means that every human being has dignity and value for the the baseline reality that we are all created in the image and likeness of God. We have... um, dependency we have distinction and we also have design god made us then as the pinnacle of his creation with a purpose that we would glorify him that we would show god to be the majestic powerful awesome god that he is so god gets done creating all of this thing that was the first two weeks god gets done creating all of this and he says it's very good very good wonderful God makes everything and calls it good. Yet today, we look around, and there is a very definite discontinuity. There's a very definite break from the world as God has made it to the world as we see it today. Very clear break. Let me just point this out in a few ways. It's easy to see in our world today. There is real moral evil in our world today. Last Sunday, fifth, the, in the largest um, homicide, murderous attack on our, in our country, 50 image bearers of God, okay, this is the, that's the important designation, 50 image bearers of God, people created in the image and likeness of God, were murdered, massacred, shot in a nightclub down in Orlando, right? Real moral evil exists. God creates everything good yet this is what we see happening with human beings having the ability to murder one another in in large numbers. Even worse atrocities going on in global places we know nothing about. There's discontinuity here, right? God makes it good, yet this is happening. Moral evil is real. What also is real is natural evil. God makes everything good, and yet, if you haven't watched, I mean, surely you've seen this in the news that a family goes on vacation to Orlando in the happiest place on earth as the, the company bills themselves to be, and a child, two year old child loses their life from an alligator attack. There's God calls this good <laughs> and he makes it all, right? And then there's this, something's happened that what we see is not good. There's nobody that looks at this and says, Oh. Well, obviously, God made it good. That's why there's homicide. That's why there's murder. That's why alligators, there's predators that attack and kill children because God made everything good. No, something's gone wrong, right? It's evident that God makes this all good, calls it good, yet the world we see today is far from fitting that description. So we have to ask the question, why the discontinuity? This is very important for our Christian worldview, which is what we're talking about in the meta narrative. Very important for our Christian worldview is the understanding something has happened from the way God made it to the way that it is now. If you come from an evolutionary standpoint, nothing's happened, right? Survival of the fittest. Uh, the guy had more power firearms, and so he he got rid of those that were weaker than him. The alligator was fitter, and so it got rid of the less, the less fit creation. If you come from an evolutionary standpoint, you see no discontinuity. You can't say there's nothing wrong here. It's just the world working itself out. But from the Christian worldview, we say clearly God made it good. What we see is less than good, to put it euphemistically nicely, less than good what has happened. And this is where we see the fall that God has made it good, but something happened that broke the world. Something happened that took this good creation that God had made and bent it, twisted it, ruined it, it, made it less than what God had designed for it to be, such that real moral evil now exists and real natural evil exists. What happens? Well, this is what we have in Genesis 3, the fall of mankind. Fall is a a polite way to put it. Adam and Eve did not step on a banana peel and fall. Whoops, I didn't mean to do that. No, that's kind of a nice way of putting. Adam and Eve are in rebellion. They decide to deny their Creator, to go against Him, and as a result, the world is plunged into sin. An important verse to notice in your Bible is chapter 2, verse um. 16, is where we see this clear command coming down from God. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Serpent shows up, chapter 3, verse 1, and if you were watching this in a movie, this is where the soundtrack gets real ominous, right? This is where you're watching along and it's just—it's a good show, and then all of a sudden you can tell something's going to happen because the music changes. Something is coming. The serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God has made. And the serpent shows up. Personification of Satan, Satan himself, we aren't really led to know, but it is certainly, we know from uh, John writing in the book of Revelation, that he identifies Satan as this ancient serpent. He is this ancient serpent that is out to ruin God's creation. John, Jesus says in John 8.44 that when Satan speaks lies, he speaks his native tongue. The first thing we must realize when we're dealing with Satan, when we see him showing up, that his main mode of communication is through deceit. He is the father of lies. The serpent shows up and he begins to lie to God's good creation. And what happens? They begin to listen to the lies. They are deceived. What does the ancient serpent do? He deceives. Paul says in 2 Corinthians... That the God of this world, meaning Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers. And how does he blind eyes? He does it through deceit. There is deceit in the world. There, now, since this fall, we are surrounded by lying voices. That's why it's so important that we have special revelation, God's truth, because we are surrounded by these lying voices. I want to make a note, not every lie that is involved here is an out-and-out out lie. Sometimes it's just a nice twist. It's just a nice twist on God's truth. And a half-truth is really a whole lie. But Satan twists what God has said. So, three areas really, as we look work through the text here, that we can see three areas in which Adam and Eve were deceived, in which the deceiving is still going on. Three areas that Adam and Eve are deceived. The first one is in verse five. I mean we know he comes out and he lies to them. He says you'll not surely die in verse four, which they do die spiritually and they do and death does enter the world at this point. So we know that Satan is lying in verse four. But verse five, for God knows that when you eat of it your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God. He appeals to the creature in making them believe that there is some way that you become God yourself. You become the sovereign one. You become the one who's in charge of everything. You become the arbiter of truth. You become the one who is in charge, who runs the show, who determines truth, goodness, and beauty. God is the real God, right? God is the real God. But if you look around and you see others who are attempting to define truth define beauty say what's good say who they're in charge or maybe you are finding yourself in that position what you're really doing is aspiring to be god yourself you have been deceived this is our modern culture's campaign is basically lifting ourselves up as our own gods we are the holders of truth what is we have we live in a postmodern relativistic world that says truth is what it is to you. What that is is just basically saying you are God. You determine truth. They they're believing the original lie that you can become God. You can decide what truth is. You can decide what beauty is. You can decide what goodness is. You are the God voice. It is this. Just an absolute, outright rebellion against God as the creator, as the God who made them. They are deceived. They are led to believe that they could become like God. And today our culture basically, it doesn't use that language because no one's that silly. I mean, it's ridiculous to us now to have someone come and tell us, you can become God. But when we start saying things like truth is what it is to you, that is a a fancy way of saying truth. You are in charge of it all. You are God. Satan is still making this lie. Adam and Eve hear it, and they they don't think they, they don't, don't mind the sound of it. They're interested in it. Isaiah 44, 6 and 8 says, There is no God besides God. And Isaiah 42 8 and 48 11 says that God will not give his glory to another. There is one God. There is one God. We are a monotheistic religion. It's a fancy way of saying we believe in one God, and it's none of us sitting in here, right? Yeah, I get some agreement on that. It's none of us in here. There is one God. But there is a lie out there that will have you not believing that there is an objective creator, but somehow you are sitting in the role of God himself, and that deceit is still going on today. So they're deceived in their aspirations, They aspire now to become like God. They're deceived in their aspirations. The second way they're deceived is in their inclinations. They're they're deceived in their aspirations to become like God and they're deceived in their inclinations, what they desire. They're deceived into thinking that what they desire most is not God Himself, but something else God has made. They trade desire and, and the inclination for God himself, who alone would satisfy the human heart, they change that inclination from desiring God himself to the thing that God has made. She looks at the fruit, sees that it is good for food, desire to make one wise, and she desires it. Her inclinations are deceived. And that what will make her most happy is not God, but this thing God has made. That's an original deceit. And can I just say, that is a deceit, that is a deception that is still going on today. That this culture wants to tell us all and to tell you that what will satisfy you most is not God himself, but these things God has made. That we should not live for God himself, but we live for something God has made. It's an original deceit that what's going to make me most happy is not God himself, but something that God has made. This is an original deceit that Adam and Eve hear, and they buy it. 1 John 2 I have 5 through 17 but that 15 through 17 like I am not reading that that's not the, not the right amount First John chapter 2 says it this way Let me get that right 2 15 through 17 says do not love this is the apostle John writing do not love the world or the things in the world if anyone loves the world the love of the father is not in him for all that is in the world the desires of the flesh And the desires of the eyes and the pride and possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride and possessions, these are not from the Father, but they are from the world. They are deceived in their aspirations to become like God Himself. They're deceived in their inclinations, their desires, for not for God who is most satisfying, but for God's creation. And they're deceived in their identifications. Verse 7, they begin to hide themselves. They cover themselves up. They begin to blame shift. Adam says, listen, this lady that you created to be beside me, she deceived me. And the lady says, well, Eve says, listen, this serpent that you put in here, they're the one that deceived me. And they begin to blame shift. They pass the blame around. But they lose their identity. They lose this, this image of godness in themselves. That their image becomes broken. They are now ashamed of how they are created. They attempt to cover themselves. God has made them beautiful. They were naked the whole time, but now all of a sudden, they see themselves differently than God has created them. They see themselves differently than how God has created them. In the curse, we see that the woman, later on here in chapter 3, the woman is now going to try to rule over her husband, and the husband is going to trample her down. And we see this confusion between what, what uh, roles God has put us in, and there's this conflict, there's this contradiction going on in this loss of identity. Identity, when severed from a transcendent, objective God, becomes a big mess. Identity is one of the most... Uh, creative words in our culture today, if you listen to the news at all, we, we, we are uh, constantly cranking out new definitions of identity, what it means to be. Now anytime you sever your identity from the Creator who made you, it just goes wherever you want it to go. And this is what happens with Adam and Eve. They, they are deceived in their identity. They begin to play God. They serve their own inclinations. And then therefore, they create their own identity. This is who I am. I am, list off the the adjective we use nowadays. This is what I am. I am this, I am that, I am the other. Instead of I am an image bearer of God who made me, whom I owe everything back to. So Adam and Eve, this this is the break that happens that breaks the world. The fall of man. God has made everything good gives them this one commandment, and Adam and Eve rebel, and as a result, condemnation, death, enters the world. They don't die immediately, which we're going to get to. There's, there's a great mercy here in the fall that we look over sometimes, don't think about how amazing it is that at the point of their rebellion against their creator, their creator doesn't just wipe them off the face of the planet. It would have been just to have done so. He made them, gave them this command. They decided they didn't want that. They wanted to be God themselves. God could have wiped them off of the planet. Yet God in his mercy lets them stay. They are now dead in trespasses and sins, but God lets them stay. All this results in their and the world's condemnation. Because Adam and Eve were placed here to steward God's good creation, their fall means the fall of all they were responsible for. Natural evil now exists. When you talk about hurricanes, tsunamis, flooding, tornadoes, things like that, those things now exist as a natural evil as a result of the fall. This broken world that God made good has now become bent. Moral evil now exists because we see the first murder happen in Genesis 4. Cain and Abel doesn't take very long before their children are taken in all the way to the heights of sinfulness in murdering one another all of this results in condemnation mankind and creation are cursed in the rest of chapter 3 which we might look at more next week we might move on I'm not sure but this is my glowing Sunday morning sermon (laughs) the discontinuity between the good creation God has made and where we are now but I can't leave you there can I Because there is, at the same time, there is this rebellion, there is this condemnation. God puts a consolation right here in the midst of his condemnation. We didn't read it, but going on to the curses, picking up where he left off, after Eve says, the serpent deceived me and I ate, verse 14 of chapter 3 of Genesis, the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, this is to the serpent, this is the serpent's curse, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field on your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life i will put enmity hatred enmity between you and the woman between your offspring and her offspring he singularizing the offspring he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel this is genesis 3:15 this is a very important verse in the meta narrative we have Forgive me for the fan. we have the proto uangalion This is the first gospel. This is the first hint we have of the good news. As soon as the fall happens, God is there with the good news of what he is doing in the world to make it right. Already, God says to the serpent that there's going to be enmity, hatred between you and the woman. It isn't just people's hatred of snakes, though that's, I think, well-founded, but and maybe deserved. But... It's not just this hatred of snakes. There is this interesting thing saying that the offspring of the woman will do what? He will crush the head of the serpent. And the serpent will bruise his heel. This is the first words we have of the gospel. This is foreshadowing exactly what Jesus is going to do. Several thousand years later, Jesus, the seed of the woman is going to be born. He's going to live the righteous life Adam and Eve should have lived. He's going to face temptations that Adam and Eve face, and he's going to succeed at not giving in to temptation. He's going to live the righteous life Adam and Eve, and all of us should have lived earning righteousness. And what is he going to do? He's going to be bruised in the heel. He's going to die on a cross. He's going to be uh, murdered on the cross for the sins of his people. For the sins of the world, the Bible tells us. Jesus is going to be condemned, bruised in the heel. We say in the heel, because is he fatally forever dead? He's really dead, sure. But three days later he's going to raise from the dead. And the Satan is going to and the Satan, the serpent, is going to get a death blow to his head. The brokenness of this world is going to get a death blow to the head. From this point on, from Genesis 3:15, such a good verse to remember. From this point on, we are going to be looking as we march forward through the meta-narrative. We're we'll going to be looking where where is this coming one coming? Someone's coming. Someone's coming to make things right. Someone's coming to undo all of the wrong. Someone's coming to reconcile a broken world back to himself. Someone's coming to fix what has been broken. Someone's coming to set up a new Jerusalem as we read in Zephaniah. Someone's coming to set up a new city where we will dwell with God in fullness of joy forever and that coming one is Jesus. Where does that leave us today? With a sobering diagnosis of our condition. You can't get a good remedy until you understand a good diagnosis. And this is the diagnosis of the human heart, dead in sins as a result of the fall. This is the The result, this is the diagnosis of a broken world that has a remedy in the coming offspring who's going to take our sin upon himself and give us his righteousness. The question that now remains, as we are born dead in sin, will we confess our sin before a holy holy God and trust in the offspring of this woman, Jesus Christ, who gave his life to forgive us of our sin, remove the condemnation that is upon us and reconcile us back to God, is calling God is calling to all of us this morning, calling to us that though this world is broken and though we are bent in on ourselves because of the fall, God is calling to us to confess, trust in the seed of the woman, grieve over our own brokenness and the brokenness of this world, to trust, to be redeemed, and to rejoice. Let's pray. Father, we do look around at the world and we grieve at the brokenness we see there, but God, in all honesty, I look at the brokenness inside of my own self and I'm grieved at the, 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 the sorrow that is there, the, the, the bent inwardness, the self-consumption, the, the self-interest that is there and, and not a life that is focused on you. There is just a real brokenness in this world. We ask that this morning as we move into a time of celebrating communion that, that we would, would remember that this brokenness in our lives and in this world is real. And that's why it's such good news that we have a real Savior, that the offspring of the woman is real. Jesus Christ, you shed your blood for the forgiveness of our sins to reconcile us back to God. May that be our hope and our joy this morning. May that be our hope and our joy this morning, we pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.